the Open Source Creative Podcast, Episode 41, File Formats and Vendor Lock-In. This is the Open Source Creative Podcast, a podcast where I ramble on about creativity, process, and open source software during my work commute. I'm Jason Van Gumster, your host and driver. A little late this week. Sorry about that. This is the second half of my two-part recording session that I mentioned before the last show. Whereas last week I was talking about mind maps, this week I'm talking about file formats. <sighs> Proprietary file formats are prime tools for implementing vendor lock-in on closed-source tools. So I, I mean this discussion to be a challenge of choosing open formats for the various digital creative fields out there. For some of us, it's, it's, it's easier than others. The question is... What do we do? I have some ideas, but I'm not sure any of them are fully satisfactory. So here's here's a little talking to myself discussion about it. Oh, we're going to toast marshmallows, are we? Could be. Now, another thing that was brought up in comments from previous episodes, more than once by more than one person, and sort of, I talked about it in the last episode, and uh, I've sort of alluded to it a little bit so far, is, is part of the reason why I, I have been able to adopt Vime as quickly as I have is because it supports FreeMind's file format. FreeMind being open source, its file format is an open is open. Is, is also open source. It's an open specification. It doesn't really have necessarily an API for it, but it's it's easily parsed and easily readable and easily uh, transferable. It's it's a it's a very good exchange format because it's it's based on, it's it's an open it's open source, right? And that's that's fantastic. That's awesome. And so one of the topics that, that's come up before is kind of a discussion on on open formats. And the problem is. With any any sort of development, any sort of not development, any sort of, we'll talk about creative production that you do. The farther down the chain, the farther down the pipeline you get, towards the end, the the like the stuff in the middle tends to be where where you have problems uh, in terms of interchange formats and 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 whatnot. Like anything as far as input, like stuff at the beginning of the pipe almost always is is if not an open format it's a ubiquitous format and where and at the, at the tail end on the deliverable side that has to go to other people generally speaking it's it's a if it's not if it's not an open format it's a ubiquitous format and and to not talk in, in generalities if you're if you're talking about well, well we'll talk about text layouts as I was talking about writing last week right so your input is going to be Again, if it's not an open format, like plain text, markdown, RTF, ODT, open document format for, for LibreOffice, if it's not one of those, it's likely to be a, um, a ubiquitous format, doc, which it's a gray area. We'll talk about that one in a second. On the flip side, 
And then on, 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 the, on the end of the chain, at the deliverable end, when you're doing the layout, this is what Scribus is going to be doing, your output's going to be a PDF. Maybe, maybe it's an EPS. PDF also a little bit in the gray area because it's, it's more ubiquitous than it is open, but it's, it's, it's a format and it's, and it's pretty, pretty available everywhere for, for, for print needs. And so it's, you, know, you could have an EPS, you could have a, a, a PDF. And so th that, that's the two ends of the chain. But in the middle, that sort of murky little middle area, you have a dearth of open formats. You have, you have a lot of closed formats in the middle of that chain, of that pipeline. Now, yeah, there, there are some open formats, but there's a lot of, lot of closed format behavior going on in there. Doc contributes to that, right? Because Doc and DocX have been a moving target for decades. Then people have basically had to reverse engineer. And hell, even, even Microsoft had problems supporting older versions of Doc moving forward. So <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been a, a sort of perennial problem. And then when you get into layout, right, you have, you've got InDesign, with his INDD format, and you've got Quark Express, which I can't even remember what their format they used was, and Scribus uses, yet again, its own format. And Scribus has a benefit in the fact that, well, it's, it's an open source tool, so there's, there is an, an ability to do, uh, you know, the source is there, so, so the mechanism for, for parsing that file actually exists. We don't have that from an InDesign file or from a Quark, Quark Express file, so if you if you are working in either of those applications, you got vendor lock-in. You have to you like you have to work in InDesign, and anybody who works with you has to work in InDesign, right? And that extends to the rest of the pipeline. It's tough to work with open source tools with InDesign on some things, right? Trying to get a, an SVG file from Inkscape into InDesign should be a relatively straightforward process, but it can be a, a right pain in the ass. And that's despite the fact that Illustrator on the face of things supports SVG. SVG is another great open, open source, open specification file format. SVG is a vector file, vector images. And that's great. Uh, for raster images, right, you... And again, it's not entirely exclusively in the domain of proprietary tools that this becomes a problem. Because, for instance, GIMP has, has the XCF format. XCF is essentially a, a memory dump of whatever you're working on in GIMP, just dumped right to memory. Upside, it reads stupid fast. You just dump it to RAM and you're right going right to work. Downside is there's not really an API <laughs> to, for, for interchange for that format. It's, XCF is not an interchange format. It's a file format specifically for GIMP. That said, we, we now have, and I say now, I mean in the last couple of years, we've gotten ORA, the Open Raster Format. What's the A stand for? I guess the A is for RA for raster. I'm going to say that's what it is. So we have the open raster format, which allows us, which GIMP reads, MyPaint reads, Krita reads. So if you're doing any sort of raster editing, guess what? You can use ORA in most of the features from one application to another, especially when it comes to layers and layer groups and those sort of things, transfer right across. And it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's a great file format. Of course, if you're talking raster graphics, that means you're most people are talking PSD. They're talking Photoshop format. Another moving target that that there there at one point the API was the specification was pretty well documented, and Creed has done a pretty good job of supporting a lot of the features in 
in PSD, but, but GIMP has had a hard time doing that. And part of that was having partially having to re reverse engineer the format. Some of the documentation was really old. And, uh, and you run into the same sort of things with, they, open source tools can't use SDKs. The reason why a lot of closed source tools don't have a lot of this interchange problem in the middle is because they just license the SDK and they can load the file. You see this a lot with um, in 3D with the FBX format. So FBX was a was a is a an interchange format for 3D graphics, uh, 3D 3D models, rigs, those sort of things. And it's actually FBX was a format produced by a company that Autodesk purchased. So now FBX is a Autodesk standard and Autodesk products use that across for as an interchange across most of their tools and it's become pretty ubiquitous especially when it when it comes to games uh, for for use as an interchange format because it supports it's not like OBJ which 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 is an object thing which is just the mesh data and some materials FBX also supports rigs and a bunch of other other cool things and the downside is that the FBX SDK is not open source friendly it's it's actually Last I read it, it's yes, I read the license. Last I read the license that I see, it's actually antagonistic towards open source, which really sucks. So any any 3D tool like Blender that needs to support FBX, basically they have to reverse engineer it, or you have to do some really really funky dancing uh, with with libraries and linking and, and and whatnot to to try to try to use that SDK or in distributables distributables to try to basically get around the fact that the SDK is not open source friendly. So the solution, of course, there are two solutions. One, make the FBX license open source friendly, or two, use a file format that is open source friendly. Unfortunately, neither one of those are gonna happen <laughs> right now because the, 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 the open source competitor, if you will, not really a competitor again, because I don't like thinking about it in this room, but the, the open source um, equivalent, if you will, to the FBX format is Collada. And it's a .dae file. And Collada is, well, is, a, is a standard that's maintained by the Kronos Group. The Kronos Group maintains the OpenGL standard and, and a lot of the 3D standards that are, that are in existence. Problem is that FBX and actually Collada suffer from the same problem is that there's these they, they, they cover so many things. The 3D, again, is not just the mesh. It's also the materials. It's the normals of the vertices and the faces on those meshes. It's the rigs that can deform and control those meshes. It's particle effects and a bunch of other different features that can be part of the file format. And they can be special specified in, in somewhat specialized ways depending on whatever application is. So for instance, the uh, if anybody still uses Second Life, Second Life will read Collada files, but it's got its own twist, its own flavor on it. So if you're exporting for Second Life to Collada to, as a file format, you actually have to sort of export to the Second Life flavor of it. And it gets really, and FBX has its own problems that are similar to that. The, different, the difference is that they, because of the, the ubiquity of the format, because Autodesk is just freaking huge and they own half the market in 3D, they, they can do a slightly better job of homogenizing that, that, that interchange so that, you know, they can say that 3D Studio Max will read Maya's FBX export and vice versa. 
and that's a problem. So, so you run into formats like this. You run into this a lot in audio. I had a long discussion, not that long, but I had, I had a reasonably long discussion uh, over New Year's um, with with someone about about audio editing, right? Audio editing again. Your inputs and your outputs. If they're not open formats, they're ubiquitous formats. Your inputs are typically going to be something like a WAV file. Your output's typically going to be either a WAV or an MP3, maybe an AUG. It's going to be something that's, that's again, if not open, it'll be ubiquitous enough that, that there, are, there are open source tools can read and write to it. But in that middle, in that workflow zone, it becomes more difficult. For, for audio editing, the, you know, the, the, the tool that, 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 that everyone talks about at least i don't say everyone uses because not everyone uses it but the 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 overriding overwhelming uh use case user base is pro tools and nothing reads a pro just like indesign getting getting any sort of read on on a pro tools edit file is an exercise in frustration not only the fact that it's it's a closed file format but hell for pro tools man i can't speak but not only is it a closed file format, but Pro Tools itself has so many like extensions and stuff that rely on dongles that chain onto one another, that even if you could read the file format, you might not have the right dongle-based extension to interpret whatever the edit was. So you're, you're, you're kind of shit out of luck with, with trying to do anything productive there right? anyway, if you're not using Pro Tools, and that's by design. Right, that's 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 done on purpose to to lock you into that particular vendor. In video editing, you have something similar, but it's 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 actually not as bad because in edit in video editing, there are there's at least a history of using something called an EDL, an edit decision list. Now, no video editor that I know of, let me think about it. No, I've I've used quite a few video editors, and none of them natively work in 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 an EDL format, but most of them can export an EDL and import an EDL. And that makes things a little bit nicer. It's kind of like uh, the, the FreeMind Vime thing. You know, the, Vime doesn't work with FreeMind files, but it will import them and, and export to them, no problem. Video editing is the same sort of way. A lot of editors, video editors don't read each other's formats, but they can kick out an EDL in some format, it could be, there's, there's a few different specifications for, for, for EDLs, but you could um, export to one of those and the other one will import it. We, I did a project like this years ago where we had to do some, some bus videos, actually. It was, it was, it was bus, bus driver training videos and ended up taking the videos, speeding them up, taking that video speed, and I'm trying to remember the process we used. We, we took the, 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 speed, the sped up video, I pulled it into Blender to add a bunch of motion graphics to it and, and sync it up with, I actually edited um, parts of the video and, and, and synced up my motion graphics to that video. And then the results of that I rendered, but I also kicked out, a, I had a Python script that produced a, a simple EDL that allowed you to pull in that uh, my, my render from Blender, my, my sequence of frames from Blender, so that you could pull that into Final Cut to do the final final edit because I was working with somebody who was editing in Final Cut. So that was a 
kind of circuitous, wacky-ass way of doing it. If I was doing it all by myself, at the time, I probably would have used just straight-up Blender or maybe even Cinelera at the time to, to do the whole project. But since I was working in a pipeline, I was working with other people, and they were using Final Cut, I could use edit decision lists and I could I could cover my part of the job in Blender and then get them the results using an edit decision list and actually a, because at the time Final Cut was having real, real difficult problems with, uh, and I, actually I don't even know if Final Cut still to this day will do it. Final Cut at that time didn't support very nicely reading a sequence of still images like you can with, with with Blender or say After Effects. After Effects is not an editor, but compositing programs don't have problems with sequence of images. A lot of editors do. Uh, but Final Cut in particular was having problems with it. And I needed to have an alpha channel. And there's only one video format that I know of that supports an alpha channel. And that's the QuickTime Animation Codec, uh, RLE quick, uh, uh, format. And uh, so I ended up having to kick out renders to that file format, which I actually ended up writing a really crappy patch for, for Blender to, to get that feature. And I, I submitted that patch to the Blender bug tracker and my patch was not accepted, but it did inspire, I believe it was Sergey, to, uh, one of the main Blender developers to take my very crappy patch and change it into something that, that didn't suck <laughs> and provided the functionality that we needed. That's how we got, that's how Blender actually got support for uh, QuickTime animation codec was with with an alpha channel was 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 partially because of me. I, I will, I mean, granted, it was a feature that was already built into FFmpeg. It was just sort of exposing that in Blender's UI. So it's not like I did anything special. But now we have that feature, and I actually use the shit out of it for that project. And I've used it a lot since then for for whenever I've had to have a encapsulated video file with an alpha channel. That's how I would end up sending it to somebody who was like, like I said, working in Final Cut or something like that. But the, the, the question also becomes, what can we do as, as open source creatives working in, in, in a world where we're the minority? You know, that's, that's, that's something that we, we kind of have to accept for the time being, but maybe, maybe forever, who knows? But at this point in time, Open source creatives are in the minority. We have an advantage in that we are not locked in to a particular vendor or a particular piece of software because most of the time we can get data out of any of our open source tools into another open source tool. We have that ability. But if you're working with other people, if you're working as part of a larger pipeline, you know, how do you how do you deal with people who are who are locked into these closed formats? And it's, I've done it, right? I've, I've, in, in my work now and in my work before, I, that's, that's been something that I've, I've, I've worked with and I've done. I mean, with, and some of those, some of those interchange formats you can use, they are travesties. I mean, FBX is ubiquitous, but it is a train wreck. Even worse, DXF for CAD files. That, you can get the, the, the ASCII version of that or the, the, binary version of that in either case the file is a, is a mess to read and it's because when you're dealing with an interchange format interchange formats want to offer all the features they want to cover all the features because you know 
this program supports this feature, this one supports another feature. Therefore, your interchange format should, should support both rather than a subset that, that's more um, universal, right? You could do a universal subset format, but that, that if somebody needs a particular feature, like for instance in 3D wanting to be able to support a rig, you're, you're, you're kind of screwed, right? There's, there's only but so many different ways of doing that. Now there are formats that are specific for, for rigs, like the BVH file, which is what we use for, uh, it's a common file used for pulling in motion capture data. You can actually take a, a character rig, export to BVH and then, with animation if you want, and then pull that back in to a, a, another program and, and the rig will export, or at least the animation will. But like the controls for the rig and, and the, the mesh deformations, those won't. And that's a problem. That's, that's, that's a difficulty. So the, the, the difficulty is you have, you have interchange formats are, are a train wreck because you have, they're trying to support all these esoteric features that only a fraction of the programs that interact with them actually support. And, and you run into problems with that. But the formats that are, are sort of subset formats that do the sort of the one thing well methodology, they, they work very well, but they, they can't be as necessarily ubiquitous if they're in the middle of the pipeline because they're, they're, people need those particular features. And so getting back to it, what, what do we, I mean, so, and sometimes we just, we do what we can. Sometimes we sort of have to pop out to a hard version. So if I'm working with somebody on uh, a print design, for instance, and I know that they're responsible for layout and I'm responsible for graphics, then I can feed them graphics and I, I can't pre-do the layout because they, if I'm going to do layout in Scribus, there's no way they're going to get my Scribus layout in InDesign. Uh, that tool doesn't, doesn't currently exist and because well, I'll get to that in a second, but <laughs> there's, that's just not happening. I could get from, from Scribus to SVG possibly and take that SVG file and maybe pull that into InDesign. In, in but basically what you end up having to do is drop down to the lowest common denominator file format, which means if you're working in audio and you're, you're editing in Ardor or Qtractor and they're working in Pro Tools, then you're gonna have to dump back out to probably a wave file and then hope that that syncs up with whatever they're doing and if they need any edits to it they're either going to have to work with that raw file or you're going to have they're going to have to ask you to all right well could you could you nudge it this way or or you know tweak the eq there or or make an edit somehow like that on the on your file and then re-export to give to them which can be a hassle but i mean that's that's kind of the the, the workflow you end up having to take and this ends up being one of those things where um for me, I had the luxury of being able to choose my customers, right? I, I chose who I work with based on, you know, how much they cared about the tools that I worked with, basically. So I, my, my favorite jobs were, were, were is working right with the end customer. So I would be producing work and they didn't care what it was made in as long as the final piece was something they could put on their their website or the YouTube channel or show on uh, as, a, as a television commercial, right? They didn't care what it was made in as long as the result was good. And the result was going to be in a, in a, again, 
ubiquitous or open format that they could they could play around. They could deliver it anywhere they wanted to. Or if I was working as part of a larger pipeline, you know, I would have to make sure that my whoever I was working with was was comfortable with me using open source tools. This happened when I wrote the first edition of Blender for Dummies, right? First, actually, all three editions of Blender for Dummies was I was still writing at that time. I was writing in, in OpenOffice and then LibreOffice. That was before I started doing a lot more stuff in Markdown. And I had to make sure that they were comfortable with me working in LibreOffice. And they they obviously weren't reading my ODT files. They weren't reading my, my, my open document files. They were reading my... I would either export to, to, to Doc so that they could play with that. Or I, fortunately, I could read and set up my uh, LibreOffice using... Doc, uh, Microsoft Word templates and, and that interchange was, was actually pretty painless. So I was pretty happy about that. But had they not been able to do that, I probably would have never written that book. Or at least I, would, I, I wouldn't have published it with them. And so that's understanding that workflow and being able to handle that workflow is something that, I mean, I, 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 I can say I've been fortunate with the fact that you know I haven't had to work necessarily with straight audio so I, I can choose customers that are I've been able to choose customers or, or employers that that are using file formats that that are either open or ubiquitous but that's not always the case and I know that for for other people and so it's 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 a hard challenge and I'm, I'm not sure what the solution is other than trying to actually evangelize these formats um, or get them to behave better in the case of Collada. Collada's kind of a train wreck for support. Right? There's just that's kind of where where things are there. And I wish I wish I had a better solution there. So if you have one, please let me know. In any case, I've come to the end of my commute. This one's been a bit rambly and and all over the place, but I hope you've enjoyed it and I'll talk to you guys a little bit later. How do you work? And there's the discussion in my head, out loud, <laughs> about vendor lock-in and the challenge of using open source formats. Have, have you ever run into the problem of needing to interface with a closed source pipeline that insists on using a closed format that you can't read or write? What, what have you done in those situations? What, what would you do now? That's, that's really what I want to know. So the easiest way to do, do that is to make a comment on this episode. That's episode 41 on opensourcecreative.org. Or you can track me down. I'm Jason Van Gumster. I'm on all of your favorite social media websites as Monster Java Guns. This podcast also has an account under OSS Creative. And you can tell me what you think there. In fact, I'm also still on Mastodon. So you can post there as well. I also have an email newsletter. It's a plain text light traffic thing that goes out about once a month so you can get an early in on knowing anything that I'm up to. You can subscribe to that on the sidebar of monsterjavaguns.com. Alright. That's time for you to get to work. See you next week. Hopefully on time.